0: Ridiculous
1: (laughs) Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash podcast My name is Arthur Gaskin with me is ever Stuart Crawford and Christopher Sackley How are we doing fellas?
2: Great weekend of squash or great week of squash so pretty good (laughs) Doing well, Weather's, weather's nice in New
1: York, got a little golf in Got a lot of squash watching in, can't complain Happy days. Anybody see the end of the Bastion, Liege-Bastion race yesterday?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I caught the highlights after you, you warned me about it or told me to get onto it. And yeah, pretty epic.
1: Oh, unreal. For those of you that didn't see it, which is probably almost everyone, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the world champion, uh, Philippe, Jean Joan Philippe, he uh, thought he had won the race. And as he's going over the finish line, he lifts his hands up in the air and... To his right, Primoz Roglic had just nicked the nicked the win by half a tyre's width.
0: No way. <laughs> yeah, raging. <Regent. laughs> Classic.
2: Primoz Roglic, who also just two weeks ago threw away the Tour de France on the on the second to last stage. So at least he's won something this season.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Throwing away is a little harsh. I mean, the other guy, he, probably, he didn't do a great performance. The other fella knocked it out of the park. But yeah, I was... He threw away. Oh, fair enough, yeah, yeah. I was good at it, man. <laughs> Didn't I? Yeah, and then Grant Thomas obviously just fell off the bike earlier on today and pretty much ruled out his chances of winning a Giro de Dalya. So, uh, anyway, off.
2: welcome to Around the the Bike. <laughs> 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 so, uh, the semi finals and finals
1: did not fail to live up to expectations, and there was certainly a couple of shockers well they're not shockers but there were certainly a few surprises that none of us apart from Stuart, would have called
2: (laughs) yeah I mean I said right from the start that Ty was going to beat Shcherbini and I never once wavered from that opinion (laughs) no no I
1: do do believe he says if I could change I would have changed
2: (laughs) no I was just asking are we allowed to change just to see if that was a possibility in the future I never once considered it on that match specifically Arthur, I'm going to need you
0: to insert that clip
2: now.
1: I can do that, actually. That's yeah. actually no problem. Perfect. Done.
2: Yeah. Shavini plays Tayeb next, and I've picked Tayeb to win the tournament. So I kind of have to stick with Tayeb to win that. But, I mean, if I was able to change that prediction, I think I'd. well, I, I know I would. Lies. <laughs> <Wise>. Fake news.
0: <laughs> um, I actually didn't see that match, but but, uh, but
1: Norm must have played well. What What did it look like? It was a strange game. I mean, like, Shabini looked cool as a cucumber to begin with, pretty much controlled the whole of the first game, maybe made, made a few mistakes in the second. And then the third, just... Uh, I mean, Tayeb did really well in staying in there, putting a bit of scoreboard pressure on Shabini, which might have a few mistakes. But the third game was very... Well, wow, it was strange. Like, it was a subdued Shabini. At least, that, that's, what, that's my take on it. Like, Tayeb didn't do anything in particularly special um, certainly not in the third game, but she didn't have to. Shabini kind of made a few uh, ragged mistakes and not just like clipping the top of the 10, but like the middle and, and the lower 10 and a couple of strokes. And she really only had to win about four or five points in
2: game three. Yeah, that's exactly how I saw it. And it came out of nowhere. I mean, like you say, she was even, I have to admit, it was going to form in the first game and Shabini cruised through it. And then just at the very start of the second game, it was like a few 10s you said strokes. I, I can vividly remember multiple strokes where she just clipped the side wall on a drive, walking straight back at her. She missed tying balls and you really couldn't see where that that come from based on her form over the, the previous week. I know previously you talked about um, lack of matches maybe being an issue when they got into really tight situations and maybe that came into play in the third. She didn't really seem to know what to do to Turn things back around which maybe you do have when you've played a lot of matches and you've been in that situation recently but yeah, it was very odd but it wouldn't have
0: been like a, a fatigue thing right because it was only a 30 minute three games first
2: game she looked like she cruised so just yeah there's much he... more timing than fatigue she just suddenly started like like Arthur said hitting balls into the, the bottom of the ten and clipping side walls and giving away strokes and yeah, it was didn't look like tiredness to me. So
1: it could have been a little bit, and it relates again what you were stressing all week, Chris, is that the first time she was put under a little bit of pressure and it, it had been so long since she had been and even this week up until that moment she pretty much had everything her own way and rightly so, I mean she just played a squash that was a level above everyone else that she played so that was fair enough and I think with Taya kind of hanging in there just long enough maybe to put some pressure on the scoreboard, a few mistakes. And then it just kind of only went one way for Shabini from there.
0: And how about, uh, we'll obviously get to the final later, but Hania, um, I, I, I watched most of the first, I watched all of the first game. I didn't, I don't think I got to see the third, but it's just like it, if anything this week, we learned that she has, uh, a lot of mental toughness and a huge motor. I mean, <laughs> 18-20, second game close in the in the semifinals against Joel King, and then 11-2 to finish it off. Like, clearly just able to sustain for longer periods of time. And, like, I watched her play at the World Juniors in New Zealand a few years ago, and she actually ended up losing to uh, Rowan Rabi. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And um, she lost two years in a row to her as the favorite. Um, but you could just tell like her athleticism was going to take her super, f- and her ball striking's great too. But just like her movement as a seven, 16 or 17 year old, wh- whenever I saw her play, was uh, outrageous.
2: Yeah. I mean, that match you're talking about against Joel, it reminded me sort of like the Farag-Diego match earlier in the week in the men's side, where an epic first game, you kind of feel like whoever's whoever wins that first game is going to have the momentum in the second. But actually, the person that won the first game ends up collapsing and being just physically exhausted. I don't think Joel was quite as tired as Diego was. Um, but like you say, Hania is just a phenomenal athlete. And it's... I think she's probably one of the first Egyptian players that's come through with that skill set that relies on her movement and her physicality. If you look at all the top Egyptians, most of them rely more on, I mean, Runeem was a great mover, but you wouldn't say she relied on her movement because her ball striking was so good. Um, And Hania also hits the ball pretty well, but the main asset that I see when I watch her play is just this incredible intensity, never really lets up physically at all. And, just constantly keeps pressure on. Last
1: week before, Manchester, Chris, you backed Tayeb. And one of the reasons was because you thought this, you know, the bubbles and not letting too many people in your circle, and it was herself and Ali, could train together and she would reap the rewards for that. I wonder, because her brother, was is, uh, he's no schmuck. He was a world junior champion a couple of years ago and he's a serious mover as well. Doesn't have the same ability with the racket, but he's certainly... Uh, so I wonder if they were training together... Anya was saying um she trains with
0: Noor a ton at the uh. same club so that so her and her and tayyab so she was saying you know uh in one of her i think it was after her semifinal win she was saying how much she looks up to Noor, and she's like a big sister and her you know you know re- most regular training partner um yeah so that was that was also made for you know an interesting interesting matchup.
1: It was some final.
0: I liked watching Joelle a lot, too. I mean, she looked like she was in good form. Um, she, uh, yeah, she moves great, hits the ball great. So it's an even, even bigger testament to what's coming from Hania after after those two performances.
1: Yep. And moving on to the final, I mean, I would never have called that. Would you?
0: Not the way it was looking. <laughs> Yeah, I, what, what, I, I don't remember exactly in the third, but it like Ty had a chance to close it out, obviously. Right. It was, and, and I think Hania, not physically, but mentally really looked defeated at one point in the third, she was looking out at her coach. Um, she missed a couple like easier open, open shots where she had Nora on the run. And she like, she looked out and at one point she even like looked at her hand and like shook it at her coach. Like, like I'm shaky, like I'm nervous, and um, and somehow I think she just stayed gritty, and 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 then the the hands obviously came back a little, and she settled in, and the rest is
2: history. Yeah, that match was interesting for me because right from the start you could see that Nur was trying to slow things down, which isn't really her game. Like normally she likes to play very open use the front of the court a lot and play at a reasonably fast pace, but she was chipping a lot up and down that backhand wall, really trying to take pace out of the game and make it difficult. I feel like because of Hanya's great movement and physicality, she wants the pace and tempo to be high the whole way. And Nur was trying to avoid that, but also wasn't using the front of the court anywhere near as much as she normally would. And because of that, the rallies became quite extended. I think the first two games were 40 minutes for two games uh, in fact I think they were at sixty one minutes at the end of the third. That's right, yeah, I was just about to say. Um and you could really see that it was having an effect on Noor that even though she was well at one point two love it, up and then after she lost the third two one up, you could definitely sense that she was tiring way quicker than, than Hanya. No, I would I remember texting you guys
0: as soon as the third was over and I said I, I think I think uh Noor's done. I think you know, you could you could tell that she she was ex- physically exhausted and then I think she had a chance to close out and that obviously takes a toll mentally too when you know you're super tired
1: Hanya was quite super impressive though at the same time with uh, with her ability just to hang in and obviously it was more than just that like her ball strike and the pace that she uh, she eventually obviously got in front and it was a huge yeah I didn't actually call it I thought Tayev might respond in, in, in the fifth game, but yeah, I was he was wrong.
0: My my take my take is that Hani is gonna be like she's never she seems to have like the poise and maturity to go along with that that movement and motor that she never wants to make it easy on anyone. Like if she's not hitting the ball to the front well, she's happy to just rely on her her movement and her physicality. Uh, to make it really difficult, which she did well there when things weren't going exactly her way. And I think she's going to – if she can add some of that, like, tactical, you know, genius that Tayeb that and Sherbini have, I think um, – I mean, she could emerge as, like, a, a definite um, top contender for every every event moving forward. She, I, I thought there was a few times when I was watching, like, Noor's movement – I felt was like clearly starting to become a little bit more labored. And there was a lot of times I thought, honey, I could have exploited it, you know, maybe chipping in the odd boast or just changing the direction of the ball a little more. Um, and I think that's what like El Taib and Norrell sherbini do so well is they, they like take advantage of those little moments when they know their opponent might be compromised uh, with some different, you know, by changing their Changing their patterns around and stuff to really start hurting them even worse. Um, whereas Alhamami's just like, okay, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep making you hurt and keep making you hurt because I, I can do it.
1: Geez, um, if you're on the receiving end of that, you'd be like, geez, will you ever just put me out of my misery? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> There's a few similarities,
2: I think, with probably the closest of the Egyptian girls to the way she plays is Gohar. Hanya obviously doesn't hit the ball quite as hard as Gohar, but it's got that same sort of relentlessness of just constantly just pressure, 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 and never letting up. I just like the way she
0: she looks a little bit more um, tactical and thoughtful. Like, I don't always get that from Gohar. Not to say she doesn't have strong tactics, but I think, like, she can miss she can miss out on easy opportunities because she's so worried about injecting pace. So she like doesn't throw in a different option all that, all that often. I think Annie has got a little bit more of a, a, you know, a full overall game plan um, with a lot of different like shots in her bag, but she can, like you said, she can, she can inject pace when she needs to.
1: Yeah. She definitely does have more of an all around game. I would agree with that. I think as well, technically she's probably a little bit sounder, in particular on that right wall. I always find that with, with Goar, one of those weaknesses is that if she gets drawn in to the left and is hit quickly over to her right, just out of the blue she can make a couple of like little random mistakes. Although that has improved over the last period of time, like well I'd say last period, like the last year or two. Um, I just still feel that there's certain deficiencies there that can get exposed, only at the very highest level of course. Um, whereas I think is a little bit more rounded technically as well.
2: Yeah, and she seems to me like she's really developed her short game. Um, If you go back to, I know she was heavy favorite for those World Junior Finals that you talked about earlier, Chris, but I remember watching, I wasn't at them, but I remember watching one of them on streaming and just thinking, here's a really good athlete that just kind of puts the ball deep all the time and she has worked on her short game and she can take it in and and start to use the whole court. Um, Probably not to the same... Extent that someone like Shabini or Raneem did, she's not hitting like outright winners all the time to the front, but she's really making the court long and stretching you forward, and then opening up space at the back, and then hitting into there. Yeah, yeah. she's gonna she's gonna be tough.
1: She's only twenty, right?
2: Just turned twenty, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's still the reigning world junior champion because there obviously wasn't one held this summer, and she won it last year. So. So she,
0: she must have made finals. Or no, she might have lost in the semis to Rwan one year. But she was probably the number one seed three years in a row then, right? Something something like
2: that. I'll get back to you in 30 <laughs> seconds. See <laughs> um, facts. <C-fax.
1: laughs> uh, moving should, on to the, oh, go on.
2: No, I was going to say,
0: yeah, should we talked about the men's semis.
1: Poor Marvin. What a guy. What what. I I love. I know we were texting, and you you won't agree with this. I love watching him play. I have to say, I just think it's brilliant how he struts around, the way he strikes the ball. How again, I said it before. He's as clever as a bag of cats. He is so
2: razor (laughs) sharp. No one
0: knows. No one knows what that means, but you have said that before. I'm terrible. gonna give
2: you a top tip, Chris. Predict him to win the tournament and you'll forgive anything he does while you're watching him. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt. I was like, go for it.
0: I so I'll say my my tune my tune changed a little bit this week, but I I it's funny. I don't I don't mind the the subtle the subtle bumps and stuff. What what it what kills me is when he he does those like two or three foot backouts on like a volley drop and he backs his butt out like three feet. And if the, his opponents behind him, those three feet is back and into the opponent. If the opponents, if the opponents kind of in line with them, it's right in that opponent's line. And like, he knows exactly what he's doing and so do we, and I'm fi- I'm fine with it, but it, I just, I just hate when he throws his hands up at the referee. Like what, like what am like why why is that a letter what am i doing um I I can say like I mean the guy is looking so sharp it's ridiculous um there's no one that's hitting the ball to the back of the court in the same way his ball is constantly moving towards the side wall towards the nick like he hit more deep kind of straight nicks or like and his cross courts are always, like, in danger of hitting those nicks, and the nicks on, on that court seem fairly big. Um, I just didn't see anyone hit a ball to the back as accurately. And I think what he does so well compared to some of the other guys who like to kind of move the ball around from somewhat riskier positions, he, like, really waits until he knows he has the positioning which as we know, he likes to use that positioning sometimes a little bit aggressively with the body movement off the ball, but like his straight drop, his simple straight drop, whenever he has good positioning in like the center of the court is ridiculous, always moving into the sidewall stays super short. And then, yeah, I just don't think he gives, I don't, I think he makes it really hard for Gawad and Ali to, uh, to find
2: opportunity and the rest of them (laughs) and everyone else, of course. Um, (laughs) I mean, to me, make sure you take risks from behind in the back of the court because he's not giving you anything loose that you can really attack on the volley. He's not really leaving length short that you can sort of do the reverse back to him where you take that mid-court position and then try and squeeze him around you. Um, So you're constantly, if you want to try and attack him, having to do it off a ball that's tight and maybe sneak across and volley it or go off the back wall and and Gawa did that a few times, hit some outrageous drops off the back wall, but that was kind of the, the level of shot that was required to to get him out of position.
1: And then to do that for a whole match from that area, is just, you're going to have to have a, a purple day over a patch. It's just great.
2: Yeah. And it's almost pressure. like the only other option is to then just try and be patient and rally with him. But like you say, it's really tough to beat him at that game because I pretty much guarantee that if, if him and any other player in the world played a deep game or a length game, then he's winning that.
0: So, so I I really liked watching the semi with Ali because it forced Ali and the announcers are talking about this a little bit, but it forced Ali to jump up and really try and push the pace, which I find it really fun to watch him when he's doing that, because he's just like bounding around the T line and I thought that game did make Marwan a little uncomfortable. I mean, Ali's shown it makes everyone in the world uncomfortable when he's on. He just had trouble sustaining like the final finishing shot. Um, Ali's like missed a bunch of kind of finishing balls, which I think is was also a credit to the way Marwan's moving right now. Because you do have to you do have to slot in like a perfect nick to beat him, or Ali likes to play that kind of like short cross court kill. He knows he can't leave that floating, or else he's going to get shut out, or or you know like beat on it. So it just forced his margins to be pretty pretty low. Um, but I mean, twelve ten in the third in the tiebreaker. I mean, I thought that match was just awesome to watch, and uh, I liked how Ali changed his game up.
2: Yeah, like you say, it's hard to sustain that though when because even when he was doing it, he was taking a. Not a lot of risk, but probably more risk than he wanted to take um, in terms of taking balls into the front that he probably wouldn't against most people. And then that potentially leads to tens or balls that sit up that Marwan can then jump on and attack. So it's a hard thing to do very well for that long.
1: Yeah. There was, you know, you, and you pointed out, Stuart, as well, and this relates to the old movement, <laughs> Chris, he wouldn't be a fan of. But he does accept it, you know, he was very clever at the end of the match in the third game where you know he could have gotten away with it he didn't he just he looked up, moved on, and then played three really great points to win the match
0: yeah it was not league. nine all one all right when yeah. he when he yeah had a pretty pretty egregious block yeah um no i agree i I think we we talked about this over our text thread I think it takes a super um it takes, a, it takes a lot of like head strength to be able to play that game because if you're going to get some unfavorable calls, just as much as you get a few favorable ones maybe, and we've talked about just how easy it is for him to, to – he might get a little bit upset at the referee, but I think that's all part of his ploy as well, to let them know he didn't think the call was right. But he does get right back into it and doesn't really ever let it affect the next point. Um, and that's it. Impressive. I
1: think like he, he picks his moments so well, and that's you know clever as a bag of cats, and that's kind of what it relates. Like he doesn't do it all the time deliberately. He does it when he feels it's the right time to do it when the mm-hmm. referees haven't seen something. I I actually I think it's genius to be honest what he does.
2: Yeah, and you have to say overall that match was a lot cleaner than the same match back in Manchester. Yeah. And you could see right from the start that Ali wasn't going to get wound up. Like, he clearly went on court expecting it to happen and just saying, whatever happens, I'm going to do almost like a Gawad. I'm just going to put my head down, accept it, play on. Yeah. And then because of that, Marwan just kind of went, okay, fine. Let's, let's just play. And it was a much cleaner match. There was still a couple of instants, but... Yeah. Overall, it was a much more enjoyable match to watch from a squash perspective, although I have to say the match in Manchester was also really entertaining to watch from, <laughs> for slightly different reasons.
0: Yeah. The refereeing was probably a little stronger this event in that match, right? So that oh, helped. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 100%,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Was it Mazzarella? Uh,
0: I believe yeah, so, yeah. Obviously,
1: I know he did the f- he did final. Sunday, yeah.
0: I, th- I think the matchup we need to see now is, uh, is Marvin versus Mohamed. I think, I think Marwan's playing so well. Uh, clearly, you know, one of the Kareem Kareem played awesome to beat him last week, but I think I'd love to see how he handles the physicality of Muhammad. I'd love to see that. Uh, I'd love to see those guys taking their space against each other too. I just know how, I know how fun, how fun slash not fun it is to, uh, against your brother and get a little chippy um, adds a whole other element, right? We'll see who the, who the <laughs> mentally tougher brother is out there.
1: Oh, jeez. That, yeah, that would be uh, quite the match to watch. When we, just... we, do they get a chance to play each other? Qatar, possibly?
2: Yeah, I think that's the next opportunity for um, both of them to be in the same draw. Hoo-ha. Uh, and the other semi-final was... Goward against Joel Macon, which despite being too love, was actually really well contested. And uh, you have to say that Joel this week showed that he's first of all definitely improved a lot over the break, but he's becoming a real threat to those top guys and yeah. um, I know he's moved up this month to his highest ranking at number nine, but I I can see him going further and certainly getting top eight and starting to push the top five as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was super impressed with him. Interesting. I don't know if he's got a racket or a clothing sponsor anymore. He was a uh, no stencil
2: on the racket, so take the fiber, sign him up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if, so um, Marwan's highest ranking previously was number three, and you have to say he's back in the same sort of form, um, and I'm sure he's looking to get up to that sort of ranking or even higher. Um but I was wondering if any two siblings had ever been one and two in the world and in squash. I think the Williams sisters did it at one point in tennis. Um, the, the only examples I could think of in squash were I think Natalie, well, Rachel Grinnam was number one in the world at one point, and Natalie Grinnam was number three. Um, did Natalie, that, Eve, I, she might have made it to two, right, at one point? She did, but not at the same time that Rachel was at one. Oh, useless. <laughs> yeah, it's always, always tough. So I think they held two and three at the same time, and I think they held one and three in the same time, but they never held one, one and two at the same time.
1: What about Rod and Brett Martin?
2: Yeah, you know, that was the only other one I could think of, and I think their best simultaneously was maybe two and three or two and four. I'm trying to figure it out, um, but again, I'm pretty sure they were never one and two. And was Marwan three and Muhammad one at the time? I believe so.
1: Um, it's just not going to cut it. It's just not a good
2: enough story. No. Well, It's certainly on the cards the way he's playing at the moment.
1: Yeah.
2: In fact, that the danger there might be if Mohammed drops down the rankings from not playing these events and you might get Marwan at one and Mohammed's the one letting them down. Was Apart there any then, ranking
1: points this week?
2: There was, yeah. Ah. There, there didn't a... used to be in that event, but there is now. And it's quite a funny system. So you get you get points for each each win in the groups, and then if you make the semis, or sorry, if you win your semi final match, you get bonus points on top of that. And then if you win the final, you get another set of bonus points on top of that again.
1: So Marwan could make a, a nice jump next month, right? Yep. yep. What a guy! Fair play to him. Fair play, Ryan. What was the uh, what was the purse for this event? One hundred eighty five k per draw
2: yeah the winner's check I think was just under $50,000 which is bigger than the regular platinum events
0: nice yeah because so, it's only
2: spread I think it's the same prize money as a lot of those platinum events but obviously there's only eight players in each draw so they're getting a bigger cut of the prize money that is. Some nice shekels
1: nice shekels yeah deserve more if you ask me but take, I'd take that yeah I agree um like on the grand and, scheme of things, obviously it's amazing, but you know it is tough that, right
0: the golfer i think golfers are up to like four million dollars or something for winning their majors now it's just like what it's and that and that I remember when I thought a million dollars for winning a golf event was you know insane, and now I think it's three and a half or something for one of the recent tournaments
1: that's just that's. I'm sorry, I don't want to get in that big high horse here and say the injustice in the world and stuff, but I mean, but the injustice in the world, but the injustice in the world, <laughs> not even in the sporting world, just in the world like that's just
2: ridiculous. It's wild, wild. I think the it's French in- Open tennis was 60,000 euros for a first round loss. So,
1: so there you go, you win the World Series, you get 50 grand, that's all good, all well and good, but then you see 60,000 dollars for the first round of the French Open, and half of them are given out. Oh, it's too cold. Ah, come on, guys. Get over it. I think, uh, what's his name? Um,
0: one of the guys, that I think, is getting some getting some slack for uh, potentially playing, knowing he had a fever and still playing and potentially having COVID.
1: Um, yeah, it's Varev. Varev, yeah. Uh, bad man. Bad man. All right. I think we're good, lads. All good. All good. When's our next event? Next week, Saturday.
0: Saturday Egyptian Saturday, Open. Saturday, no, no days Saturday, off for squash Saturday. podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> no weeks off, I should say. We're back. Uh, no rest. No rest. Squash is back, huh? Squash is back. <laughs> <laughs> squash is Although back. I, I wonder how much tennis and golf podcasters make. Probably equivalent.
1: Um, equivalent.
0: <laughs> equivalently much more than than. Um,
1: And zero. Our zero dollars. 100% of zero. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Love of the game, huh? Love of the game.
0: Love the game.
1: (laughs) All right. All right, guys. Well, we'll be back soon with more coverage from the Egyptian Open next week. Unfortunately, there'll be no showdown between Mohammed and Marvin Al Shabagi, but we can wait till Qatar for that. It's been our absolute pleasure. Stuart, Chris, thank you. Thank you, sir.
2: Thanks, Arthur. Thanks, Chris. Happy days.
1: Whew.